Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Shop and Chivalry podcast. We're still in the election cycle here in Ocean Springs. And while the primary election has passed, the runoff is well underway. As such, my good friend Doug Walker decided to stop by and chat with me. Doug is in a runoff race in Ward 3. Doug and I chat about the experience thus far campaigning in a COVID environment and his passion he holds in the belief that he is the right person, the best person, to serve Ward 3 as an alderman. We spent an unusual amount of time talking about roads. I think it surprised both of us. Doug also talks about some of his frustrations about the nasty side of campaigning in this divisive, dagger-throwing election system. The awful, arguably unprofessional behavior exhibited at the federal level during elections has unfortunately and obviously permeated the entire hierarchy of elected officials. Doug is my first repeat guest, and I had a blast talking to him. He's, he's a wonderful man with a great sense of humor. He's direct. He's well-informed. While that makes for a formidable person to conversate with, Doug is at heart a grounded, loving, good-natured man who simply wants to continue to serve this community. I'm honored he is seeking a seat as one of the Board of Aldermen. Everyone, please welcome Doug Walker. (laughs) Oh, man. Feels good to be back. Goodness. Okay. It's good to me. Good. Yeah. All right. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Shop and Chivalry podcast. I'm here with uh, my guest, Doug Walker. Doug, you are the first person who's been a repeat guest. Well, I'm honored. (laughs) I'm stunned, and I'm honored to be a repeat guest. Uh, Before we even start, I do want to say this. I mean, I think you have done a tremendous public service for the city of Ocean Springs. By offering these podcasts during the election cycle, you've had many of the candidates on to talk about their vision, their expertise, Mm -hmm. their viewpoints, their concerns about the city and its future. And for you to do that and make yourself available, make this time available on this podcast, I think is commendable, and I really appreciate the opportunity to come back again. I think you're doing a great job. Well, Doug, I'm I'm, I'm humbled to hear that, and, and, um, you know, I... (laughs) I didn't, I didn't go into it with the intent of actually doing this. I don't know if I've told you the story, um, but I actually reached out to talk to somebody with the Audubon Society because I wanted to highlight kind of different, different groups around the coast. And it turns out, it, it started out with, with Melanie Allen, and uh, she's like, uh, her, her, well, the message that came back from the Audubon Facebook group was, um, we'd, we'd love to have Melanie on to talk about her campaign. And it took me like a week to realize, like, oh, she's running for mayor. And that's when I realized uh, that, oh, this would be really great, you know, to, to kind of highlight everybody. And, and I'm, I'm so glad it's, it's, it's been something that people have found uh, value. And I've got to meet such amazing people, yourself included. And, 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 and now so you're probably you wishing you had just stuck with the Audubon Society. <laughs> no, it's been great. It's, it, it really has. <laughs> I mean, because there's so many people that are uh, in this area that, that have such great ideas and so many experiences. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, like, more than a hundred years, hundreds of years of experience living on the coast in this city, having, having, um, you know, uh, wonderful educated perspectives. And of course it's a place where they want to live. So uh, the incentive is, is, is very clear as well. And so it's been, it's been fascinating. Well, I'm happy to be here once again, and I do commend you for this public service that you've been doing. I mean, I think it's a great thing. It gives candidates an opportunity to discuss their views without doling out hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of dollars it's a free service Mm -hmm. and they can talk about whatever they want to talk about for an hour an hour and a half 
And that's hard to come by in this political day and age. Sure, sure. And and uh, I'm I'm going to take the second to brag for for a moment, but um, take two. I, I I do part of this, and and what people may not realize is that. Uh, everybody that comes in, it's 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 your show, and 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 Doug, you can call me a liar at any point. But um, when, o- when only when we do only the show, if you bring up Chick Fil A, <laughs> like and the calories time, <laughs> yeah. and they're calorie free, then I will call you a liar. It's God's chicken. There's there's okay. there's no downside to it. But um, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, people have have done an interview, and then I send it to them so so they can watch it just to approve. Because I don't want to send anything out that that people can't be proud of. And uh, everybody gets the first right of refusal. And if we have to do another uh, uh, take, another hour and a half, two hour take, we can we can do that. It's, it's not a problem. And, and I have had to do that. And I'm happy to do it. It's been great. Okay. Well, good. Again, congratulations. <laughs> and Thank thanks, for the, uh, thanks for the offer. Well, uh, so Doug, uh, just as a reminder, which uh, what are you running for in, in Ocean Springs? Running for Ward 3 Alderman. And we are now in a runoff cycle mm-hmm. on... April the 6th, the incumbent uh, was defeated handily, mm-hmm. and now there is my challenger and myself, and on April the 27th, which is just about a week away from the time this is posted mm-hmm. on the internet, it's uh, going to be a runoff between him and I. Winner take all, that race will be decided on April the 27th. Now, turnout in runoff races is notoriously low. Sure. So the key is to get the people who voted for you the first time to actually go back, go back and vote again. And that's what I'm in the process of trying to do right now. I'm now in the process of walking this ward for the third time. Mm-hmm. The first two times I added up the hours, 131 hours of walking. Wow. 815 plus doors each time. Will I be able to accomplish that in a short three-week period? I don't know. With the weather not cooperating at all. Well, I actually, last Saturday, pulled out the old WLOX hurricane rain gear and okay. threw that on and uh, walked in a driving rainstorm for two hours. It finally let up, but uh, it was like a blast from the past. Memories of <laughs> Only why I wasn't standing in three feet of water at the time. <laughs> right, Like right. I normally am during a hurricane, but uh, I was still getting pretty wet. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, don't, I don't think it's easy to escape that because... Uh, you know, especially this this entire week, the weather's been just horrendous. Oh, yeah. And for people that don't know, this is the week of what the uh, what was Monday the twelfth, the week of the twelfth. Right. So now, the other important thing in this April twenty seventh runoff is the mayor's race will be decided. Yes. Uh, between Melanie Allen and Kenny Holloway, so it's critically important for people who want a voice and who their ward three alderman is going to be and who their mayor is going to be to go to the polls on April the 27th. There's still going to be a June 8th general election, mm-hmm. but there'll only be one name on the ballot. Right. And so all you got to do is pick up one vote on June the 8th and you're in. But the winner of Ward 3 and the winner of the mayor's race will be decided on April the 27th, so it's critically important for people to go out and make their voices heard at the polls. You know, it's such an important thing in the American democratic system voting. It It's... It's disappointing that you have, on average, in Mississippi, a 25% voter turnout, even for the large presidential elections or the senator or what have you. So uh, what, what, what drives that, do you think? People are turned off by politics. Mm. They feel abandoned by politicians. They see the acrimony in Washington, D.C. They see the bitterness around this country. And they're frankly turned off by it. And they say, you know, I don't want to participate in this kind of dysfunctional system. So I'm just gonna stay home and not vote. 
And I understand that. I get that feeling because I'm pretty disgusted by what's going on in Washington over the mm. last 15 to 20 years. I've never seen it this toxic. I've never seen it this poisonous. And I've lived long enough to go through the turmoil in the 60s and the 70s with the Vietnam War and the assassination mm. of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy. I've never seen it this toxic ever. And that's disappointing. So I understand why voters are turned off by what they're seeing and what they're hearing. It does seem that that permeates down to the local level as well. I mean, it, you know, when you have this election cycle uh, at the national level that, again, takes two plus years, you know, to to unfold it, it does. It seems like the expose or, or the or the or the example that people tend to follow, you know what I mean? And so it. it I've, I've no doubt that uh, people have been ugly in this. Well, I've seen some of it on, on Facebook, even in this local election of this, of this great city. And that's very disappointing to me. I have purposely not named one name ever since I started my campaign back in August of last year, long before anybody else even announced that they were running. I have not named one person individually. I've talked about an opponent or the opponent Mm-hmm. not named one name, not criticize their personal beliefs or their belief in how they want to accomplish things or question their integrity or their honesty. I've not done that. I've had that targeted at me. Mm-hmm. I've chosen to rise above the fray. I think that's the way to go. I think that actually turns people off when you're attacked. And so I've purposely done just that, tried to stay above the fray, try to deal with the issues, try to talk about what I think needs to happen in the city. Now, I have been critical of the board's past actions. Right. But again, I have not named one single person on that board. Mm -hmm. That may change today. We'll see. Right. But I have criticized some of their decisions that they've made, bad decisions in my viewpoint, like spending $30,000 hiring a firm to bring in new retail, paying them $30,000 up front. After one year, no new businesses, $30,000 gone bad decision, period. Mm -hmm. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Increasing garbage fees for everyone in the city by 44.8% when the rate of inflation in the country was less than two. It went from 14 to $20. Other cities, other counties on the coast got much better deals. I think we could have too. I think that was a bad decision. But again, no personal names, just criticizing the board Mm -hmm. as a whole. Right, right. You know, I one of the things, and, and I'm, I'm going to bring this up, and uh, I, I found it, one of the things I found sickening that, that had to do with you was um, people thinking that you using your name, Doug Walker, as some, some sort of shot to your integrity, and, and, I, and I found it uh, repulsive for that to become part of the political talking uh, um, points, if you will. The idea, the idea that your last name, Winecki, right? Well, see, that's why I changed it to Walker, but we'll get to that. Right, 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 right. It's not actually Winecki. Well, well, so it's pronounced Winecki, but it's actually a funny story as to how Walker came about, but go ahead and finish your point. Yeah. So uh, the idea, you know, this is politics. You're trying to get your name out there. Doug, you're most well known as Doug Walker from WLOX. Why it's not logical that you would not continue that to run for political office and why that is somehow some shot to your integrity, I cannot understand. And I find it wholly disrespectful to make that a political talking point. That's my own opinion here. I can't believe it came up either. And I'll give you a perfect example of how this name came about. And one of my opponents, who was vanquished in the primary, Uh, was like a dog with a bone. He just wouldn't let this name thing go. 
well, that's all he's got. Well, that's all he's got, Doug. I but 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 that, that just shows true. more, and, and and that shows more why he's probably unqualified to, to be in that position because his entire political uh, uh, platform was talking about your last name. Well, the name Doug Walker was created in 1977. It's 44 years that I've used the name Doug Walker, which, by the way, is longer than my opponent in the runoff has been alive. Absolutely true. So you as Doug Walker has existed longer than... Than Than, uh, the other opponent has been alive. And one of his family members got on and started talking about my name again. But the bottom line was, when I first began my broadcast career back in 1977... My program directors at the time were saying, so what name are you going to use on the air? And I said, well, my name's Doug Weinecke. And they went, really? <laughs> really? You're going to use that name? No, you're not. Number one, you can't say it. Number two, you can't spell it. Come up with something a little bit better. And I was like, okay, let me see. Uh, okay. How about Walker? Is that, that's good? And they went, yeah, that's fine. Use Doug Walker. So that's how Doug Walker was created, because Doug Weinecke just didn't sound good and was unpronounceable and looked foreign. And uh, But, like, it's, it's, how did you feel in that moment? Like, because, it, like, that's, that's your identity, and it's your last name. Like, there's, it's, it's more than just an identity. It's a familial thing. I mean, how? I was poor. And desperate for a job. Okay? <laughs> Truth be told. Uh, you want me to be Walker? Uh, you want me to be Rapunzel? I'll be that if you want. You know, I, I just want gotcha, a job. as long as the outcome is income, right? Yeah, I want a job, and that's how I got the job. But uh, No, but I understand deep down inside, and a lot of people in my position, especially from that era, created professional names. Mm-hmm. And I could name hundreds of them, but look at all the actors. Look at John Cougar. Mm-hmm. I mean, his name was Mellencamp. Mm-hmm. He changed it to John Cougar. Uh, Dwayne Johnson. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm just going to be go by The Rock. What? So uh, this is not unusual stuff. Yeah, right, right. So uh, the fact that I've been Doug Walker for 44 years, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of both names. I've never changed my legal last name on my home deeds, on my car papers, on my social security papers you're just most well known and yeah. and and your impacts uh, what what people know you as and and the work you've done as a benefit of the coast has been under the name of walker and 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 again it's just it's one of those things like if that's the best thing that you have to be talking about like what why are you here you're, i found it you're out here talking about real issues doug i found it petty that's what i found it sure just petty and inexcusable and unnecessary and of course you do that on social media where, where, where something like that is just going to turn into a lampoon you know, it's 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 just irresponsible. And well, I think it backfires opinion. on a lot of cases. To be honest with you, I think a lot of people look at social media, see the ugliness out there, and it turns them off. And I think it actually backfires sometimes. And that's why I've never attacked anyone personally mm-hmm. on my Facebook page, either Doug Walker or mm-hmm. Doug Walker for Ward Three. I never attacked one personally. Uh, have again criticized the board as a whole for what I believe is a lack of vision and bad decisions, but never attacked anyone's integrity or personal attacks on anyone. Mm. Interesting. Well, again, it's, it's, it's been a shame to, to see that. And, you know, again, it's been a shame to see people kind of resort to those national, cheap political tactics in order to try and win this election, rather than just advocating the merit of their ideas. Well, to be honest with you, Brian, I thought we were better than this mm-hmm. in Ocean Springs. I really did. And I'm disappointed that we're not. I'm disappointed that it's come down to this. I'm disappointed that a sitting mayor brutally attacks a mayoral candidate uh, candidate on his own Facebook page. 
uh, mm-hmm. questioning her honesty, questioning this person's integrity. I find that appalling, and I find it disappointing. I thought as a city, as a community, as a progressive area on the Gulf Coast, I thought we were better than that. But a lot of the folks who are running, a lot of the candidates, a lot of the candidate supporters have sunk to this level, and it's disconcerting. Sure, sure. I mean, and, and that's, I think, putting it um, a little more politely than I would. But, uh, well, Doug, what's... what's What's new with you? You know, you, you've been you've been going through this election, right? And and I'm sure it's been tough. And I should say, it's uh, when you walk around the neighborhoods, you do it with like a wheelbarrow. You do the hand sanitizer, like like you you're you're very uh, um, understanding of of the woes of the times as well. Yeah, I mean, I campaign safely, mm-hmm. although it's getting easier now because more and more people have become vaccinated. Sure. More and more people are wearing masks. I carry a mask. I carry hand sanitizers. I've had a couple of occasions when I've knocked door to door and say, people say, do you have a mask? And I'll pull it right out of my pocket and put it on. Uh, but that's pretty rare. But I always stay back a good six feet. I walk up to the door, knock on it, step back six feet. Uh, if I hand them push card, I'll walk up with my arm extended and hand them push card and then back off again. Uh, no handshaking per se. Uh, it's disappointing that you can't campaign up close, but I understand the times that we sure. live in and I understand keeping people safe and comfortable is paramount as well as keeping my safe, uh, myself safe. Sure, sure. Well, since we last did the interview, um, there's been there's been some changes in the city, obviously, and new issues have have come up. And uh, I guess we could talk about some of those. But I don't know. Did we talk about the Dollar General on our last episode? Yeah, we did. But okay. you can bring it back up again. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm curious. Like, has take has, two? Yeah, yeah, take two. So um, I went into it actually yesterday. It's a beautiful building. You know, it's 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 not like other other Dollar Generals that I've seen. Uh, do you have a do you have an opinion on it? Yeah, I do. I think they've done it the right way, and I think the city required a look that mm-hmm. fits in with the city. When we did this podcast about two or three months ago, it was still going up. Mm-hmm. But they came up with the facade. They came up with the upstairs windows. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like your typical Dollar General. No. Very similar to the one which is down the road on Government Street where they put up the tree canopy and put up benches. You can build in an area and make it look aesthetically pleasing and make it look like it fits in with the city. And I think the Dollar General folks deserve some credit for building a building that fits the mood of the city and not just a brick and mortar box store. That's the typical Dollar General. They've made it appealing and that's good. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly agree. Uh, another thing that's, that's come up has been safety downtown recently. And I know that when, uh, when this came up, uh, there's a candidate out there who advocated for a larger walking police presence. Do you think that's something necessary? Cause I know one of your concerns was that downtown was becoming sort of this like <coughs> proxy for that new Orleans nightlife. Well, I'm an honest person, brutally sometimes, and to the point. Downtown right now is a train wreck. Okay. Just in the last two weekends, a couple was filmed having sex outside in downtown. That's a thing. That happened? Yes, it happened. And, of course, it was posted on on social media. Oh, my goodness. Uh, So that got around. Uh, In the last two weeks, a woman naked walking down government street near the, YMCA. the intersection of martin luther king and the ymca fights trash everywhere we've got to get a handle on what's happening in downtown and the best way to handle that is with an increased police presence 
people tend not to act the fool when they see police officers around. Yeah, it's just purely it's, occupational deterrence. It's human nature. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you a perfect example of human nature. You're driving down the highway. The speed limit's 70. You're going 65. You see a police officer parked in his vehicle on the side of the road. What's the first thing you do? Well, you're going to check your speed and maybe even slow down more. <laughs> you, you tap that brake. You yeah. put your foot right on that brake as soon as you see the police yeah. officer, even though you're going five miles under the speed limit. It's just human nature. So when you see a police car, you see a police officer, your behavior tends to calm down, become more static, become less problematic. And so an increased police presence, a view of police, I think will help the problem tremendously yeah I, I i do not disagree and in fact I'll, I'll give you another example you know going through uh, military basic training the uh, training instructors drill instructors they they had uh, taps on their shoes until so they would click when they walk that that's actually comes from uh the uh nazi guards at the uh, concentration camps they they had the same thing that was incorporated into uh, as a as a fear tactic still to this day if i if i go somewhere and there's a drill instructor around and i hear him tapping i like kind of check check and make sure i could be in civilian clothes i'm sure oh, okay am i doing anything wrong like it's such a it's such an odd thing that's been drilled into uh, uh me for just six and a half weeks of listening to that right yeah it's fascinating so the same principle applies uh, uh more police in downtown will curb the problem tremendously but there is a problem and we've got to get a handle on it and we've got to send a signal that this kind of behavior is not going to be tolerated by our city mm -hmm. and the deeper question is Let's say you live in Des Moines, and you've heard about the Mississippi Gulf Coast, you've heard about the casinos, you've heard about the beaches, but you've never been here. Sure. And you go on social media to do some research about the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and you see a video of people having sex outside in downtown Ocean Springs, or you see a video of a woman walking naked down Government Street in downtown Ocean Springs, and you're going to take your family there? Mm -hmm. There's no way. Right, right. The first thing you would do is say, uh, Florida, Texas, we'll stay in Des Moines, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to go there. I mean, look at what's happening. And that is the power and the danger of social media. Sure. That view was went viral. Uh, thousands and thousands of people viewed it. And there's no way to tell just where they were viewing it at. Sure. Could have been in Des Moines, could have been in Illinois, could have been in California, could have been in Washington, D.C., whatever. Yeah. And so we've got to get a handle on what's happening in downtown, get a handle on it quickly, and let people know that we're not going to tolerate that kind of behavior. And if they do that kind of thing, they're going to spend a night in the pokey. Sure, sure, sure. You know, the other side of that is that, I mean, police presence or not, people are, you know, maybe hedonistic at their core. And if that's something they want to do, they're just going to do it. You know, so what do you say to that point? I say if there's a police officer standing 10 feet away from you, whether you're hedonistic or not, you're not going to do it. <laughs> well, unless, unless you uh, really like spending a night in jail. Uh, that's why police are so important and the presence is so important. I mean, you will clean up your act. It's human nature not to act foolish and, around authority and yeah. break the law in front of a police officer it just yeah. doesn't happen yeah sure i mean that certainly makes sense there were there were concerns also downtown about maybe the bars and you know whether or not people were safe around uh, around the bars i won't say what what bar it was because i do think that they handled you know the uh situation pretty well and i don't want any 
negative feedback, but, um, you know, is, is there some, some way that the city can be involved to ensure that people who are drinking in bars are more safe from, you know, maybe their drinks getting spiked or what have you? That's hard to police because sure. you actually have to see it. It's right. like trying to catch someone who's littering. You mm -hmm. just can't say, uh, I think you littered. You've actually got to see it. So if people are being subjected to dangerous behavior in bars, in nightclubs, in downtown, you've got to be able to see it, see the crime taking place before you can actually take action. And I think the bar owners and the nightclub owners and the other downtown business owners are doing as well as they can. Mm -hmm. I think, again, and I can't stress this enough, it gets down to a police presence in downtown. And that, that, that's the answer to the problem, I think. Bar owners, nightclub owners, restaurant owners are doing what they can to police their own properties, but they don't have the power of the law sure. behind them. So how do you how do you get that done, though? I mean, you've You've seen the city budget. I mean, is, is there is there room to hire more of a police presence? Because if there's not, then it's a zero-sum game. And so people you put downtown may not be able to be people that could, that could police the rest of the city. Well, the big picture is this. This police department has been understaffed for 15 years. One of the reasons why, low pay. Incredibly low pay for the job that these men and women do, putting right. their lives on the line. So to their credit, not nearly soon enough, though, because this problem has existed for 15 years. Mm -hmm. Three months to the day before the election, the current Board of Aldermen decided to grant the police department a significant pay raise. So the problem is going to take care of itself. Now, this board didn't go far enough, and again, I question the timing of it. They've had four years to address this issue, and for some of the members on this board, they've had even longer than that. Right. This problem has been going on for 15 years, understaffed and losing people left and right to better-paying jobs elsewhere on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. So I think the problem is going to solve itself with this pay increase, which was significant. I think people are going to stick with the Ocean Springs Police Department, and so we're not going. We're not going to be understaffed that much longer. I think we're going to be fully staffed because of this pay increase, and therefore you have more officers to allocate in different areas. And if it takes allocating officers, two or three more in the downtown area, I think you'll have the people on staff without hiring anybody else to do that. Sure, sure. What are your thoughts on the sands? It's a very controversial project. It's controversial from the city standpoint. It's controversial from the developer standpoint. It's been in court once. The judge ruled against the Sands development in that first ruling. It's now back in court again. Here's my feeling about the Sands. We have lost in this country the art of compromise. And it starts, as we mentioned at the very beginning of the show, at the top in mm -hmm. Washington. When they were talking about stimulus, Democrats say, we want $2 billion. Republicans said, no, we want $1 billion. Guys, it's not that hard. How about $1.5 billion? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a good compromise. Sure. Each side wins. Each side gives up a little bit. They meet in the middle. I think having lost the art of compromise, I think that that's what needs to happen with the Sands development. I really think if you sit down with both sides... And act as a mediator, perhaps, away from the courtroom, away from lawyers, away from judges, and try to find a way to make this work where the developers pleased and the nearby homeowners on Front Beach are pleased as well. 
I don't think that true effort at compromise has really happened, and I'd like to see that done. I'd like to see the city be the lead in trying to get these two sides together. Because, obviously, the property as it stands now is doing nothing. It's not on the tax rolls. It's sitting empty. So something needs to be done there. It's just a matter of figuring out what needs to be done, how it needs to be done, and what its appearance should be. Mm-hmm. Now, before Katrina, there were apartment complexes, two of them. Right. They were washed away. So it's zoned for apartment complexes. Is that the answer? I don't know. Uh, are single-family townhomes the answer? I don't know. There are questions about density on the property. How many homes or how many apartment complexes can be built in that small area? And that's where part of the problem is, and that's where part of the compromise needs to come from. Each side giving up a little bit to get something that everyone can live with. Yeah, it's. I, I think personally, it, it, it goes deeper than. I agree with the comp, with the idea that we've lost the art of, of compromise. But but part of it too is just a lack of understanding of ethics because there's there's so many ethical levers you could you could pull here. I mean, simply with your example, one billion and two billion, one point five billion. I mean, that's Aristotle's golden mean. You know, that's that's the that's the idea that the most ethical thing is at the margin between two ethical options. You know, and then you could say. Like, well, what's the utility of it? That's utilitarian ethics. You know, what's the, what, what decision will the greatest number of people uh, experience the greatest overall good? Or Kantian ethics and, and universalizability. What's a way that, which I think is Michael Butler's position, is that if you would allow anybody to develop this property, if it was anywhere else in Ocean Springs where there's no residence, why can't I build it here? You know, and, and you've got to talk to people to decide which, which ethical, which ethical maxim you're, you're going to use in this situation, but rather they're not having a discussion. And I think maybe lawyers are part of the problem because anything you say is going to be leveraged against you. So there's, there's no good incentive to solve the problem, honestly. And that's why I suggest a meeting without lawyers, yeah. outside of a courtroom, outside of judges, outside of legal expertise, just regular folks sitting down trying to solve a problem. And we've lost that art. Sure. We have depended too much on litigation. We are a very litigious society. We will sue at the drop of a hat over anything. And I don't think that's a good thing for our country. I think that has led to the lack of compromise. Uh, If I don't get my way, I'm just going to sue. And that's the attitude that we have in the country right now. And it's sad that it's developed into that. I understand why, because, again, it starts at the top. How many lawsuits have been filed over the election? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just, it starts at the top, and it trickles on down. It's like trickle-down economics of the Reagan area, except it's a trickle-down disparity and the lack of compromise <laughs> right, right. during our era. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I definitely agree. And, again, the, you know, back to the point I was, I was making, there's no incentive for these parties to come together. One, if they figure out they can solve the problem, well, they've realized that they don't need a lawyer to solve these problems, and hopefully that puts lawyers out of, out of a job. But, uh, yeah, I mean, because the lawyer's not going to say, yeah, you can, you can have a conversation you know, without us there. Like, the lawyers are going to be involved because it's, it's as if the whole thing is a physics problem, right? And so you have all this potential energy. And that's how lawyers speak. They speak in this potential legal energy. Well, if you say this, this could happen. It's not that it will. It's not that they know it will. But it's like they're selling their jobs based on this potential legal energy. And it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me. Well, that's why I believe in the art of mediation. Sure. I think mediation is a good thing. <clears throat> you get someone without a dog in the hunt someone who's completely 
free of any bias one way or the other and have them listen to both sides and then come up with a ruling. And before that process even starts, the mediation process, both sides agree to accept the judgment of the mediator. Sure. And I think that could possibly be an answer in this case. Will it? I don't know. There's no way I can't tell the future. But that's a possibility that could exist. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think also they're... Uh one of the parties, their position is they don't want anything built. And again, to your point, like you, you don't control property you don't own. That's just that's just how it works. Like there's no logical reason why you should think that. Um, so you have to walk into it with the idea that a development will occur. The question is, what kind of development would you like to see? That's 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 really the issue as far. And as I've met with both parties mm -hmm. and had extensive conversations with both parties. I don't think it's a case of the homeowners on Front Beach not wanting something built there. I think it's more of a density issue. Mm -hmm. How many should be built? What is that land for? How are you going to get ingress and egress out of that complex? How, I know that's a big issue, too. How yeah. wide are the streets going to be to allow for emerg emergency vehicles? These are all questions. I don't think the homeowners on Front Beach don't want anything built. They just want something built that they can live with. And Mr. Butler, I met with him, had a very cordial conversation with him, and I understand his position as well. Mm -hmm. But again, I hate to sound like a broken record, but compromise, folks. Let's compromise. Let's yeah. find an answer that we can all live with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, having talked to both parties, I mean, do you do you have a potential idea for or a solution like like what would a solution in that situation look like to you in your opinion and if you don't want to go into that or or, or, or speculate that's that's fine as well. well a potential solution is mediation yeah. offer to sit down hey guys let's sit down at a table for a day and let's figure out what both sides can live with what's agreeable to both sides and turn it over to the hands of a mediator and let the mediator decide and again both sides both parties would have to agree to accept the mediation guidelines and the mediation ruling uh, before that process could take place. But I think that is the answer, because I think if it drags on in court, it's going to continue to drag on. Right. If this ruling goes against Butler or for Butler or against the homeowners or for the homeowners, it's going to be appealed. Again, it will stay in court for a very long time. And that's not the answer. Again, no. the property is sitting there and not generating any revenue for the city. Sure, It needs to be developed in some form or fashion so we can get it back on the tax rolls. It hasn't been on the tax rolls since August the 29th of 2005, mm. the day Katrina hit. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, let me ask you this about uh, homelessness. It seems like that's been that's been an issue that's, that's come up from people as well, wanting to address the homelessness in the city. And, and quite frankly, I, I didn't think it was actually that big of an issue. I mean, um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it is an issue. It's not an overwhelming issue. Mm -hmm. But the problem with homelessness is most people are of the opinion, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, let's just cover our eyes and pretend the problem doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It exists. If you go down under the Highway 90 bridge, down okay. by the Yacht Club, you will see homeless people sleeping under that bridge. Uh, that's an area that, where they tend to congregate. And the answer is not what happened at the library several years ago, where homeless people were going to the library and sleeping on the benches parked or put outside the front entrance of the library. What they do, they just took the benches away. So we're going to take the benches away and the homeless will go away. That didn't happen. 
we've got to come to grips as a society with the homeless. Now, truth be told, there are some homeless people who choose to be homeless. I've heard about this. Some people call it urban camping. There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. There are a large contingent of homeless people who need help. They either are addicted to drugs, they have problems with alcohol, they have problems with depression, they have mental health issues, and these people need help. I don't think they're homeless by choice. There is a certain contingent of people who are homeless by choice, and there's nothing you can do about that. It's just their choice, their lot in life, it's the way they want to live, and you, in America, still a free country, you can live the way you want. But for the people who need the help, we're not giving it to them. And it's like we want to shut the door on the problem. In Biloxi, a few years ago, the mayor wanted to acquire this property and turn it into a shelter for homeless people, kind of a transition home to help these people transition from homelessness into a productive lifestyle. It was shot down, never even had a chance because the going thought is among many people, and you've heard this before, not in my backyard. Don't want anything like that in our city. But we cannot continue to ignore the problem. And the problem with homeless is they do a lot of panhandling. They sit on street corners and they have their signs. And that's dangerous for them. They're standing in heavy traffic a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. So it's dangerous for them. It's not a matter of if one of the homeless people are going to get hurt. It's a matter of when. And so we've got to get a handle on this. And I think part of it is some kind of a transitional facility where we provide services, we provide food, we provide clean showers, and try to transition these homeless people who want help, who want help, that's key, into a better lifestyle. So... If we had something like that in Ocean Springs, though, wouldn't it incentivize the surrounding communities to bring homeless to Ocean Springs because Ocean Springs is actually developing it? I've heard that argument, and there's a possibility that there could be an uptick, but I don't think so. I mean, we have a shelter, or not a shelter, but a feeding station for the homeless. The Lord is my help. Mm -hmm. Biloxi has one. It hasn't created a deluge of people coming because they can get a free meal at these soup kitchens. Could there be an uptick? Yes, but I think the downside of an uptick is much less more painful than ignoring the problem and covering our eyes. I think there's certainly merit in that. I, I, I would like to see uh, something like that happen across the coastal counties. You know, there's this idea of the one coast thing. Well, maybe that's a good starting place for a good one coast project where they all come up and that way you don't have this issue uh, of bring people in, they can stay in the cities that they are, you know what I mean? And you can just manage your own city's kind of homelessness population. I think that that, that makes it a lot easier to go uh, go down. Personally. Well, there's plenty of land on this Mississippi uh, Oh, Gulf there's Coast no shortage of land. Yeah. To, to build something. There's plenty of land, so you don't have to fight the not-in-my-backyard attitude. You don't want to put something in a populated area of any city. And, for instance, in Ocean Springs, look at everything that's open – from Walmart to the east to Highway 57. Tons of land. You could potentially build a facility, a transitional facility for the homeless in many of those areas, away from populated areas, away from homes. 
you could partner with the federal government, you could partner with state government, you could partner with the Department of Mental Health to build this facility. So it wouldn't just be on the city, it would be a cooperation between several government entities. But just covering our eyes and pretending the problem doesn't exist doesn't work. We yeah, it's have a non -starter. To it. Yeah, yeah. I, look, I, I don't disagree. How do you deal with the issue, though, if you're, if you're providing housing or some sort of shelter? What about during a hurricane? So the city would have to come up with some sort of evacuation plan to help these individuals. Because if they don't have a house, they certainly don't. Uh, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm making an assumption here. It's not likely that they're going to have the ability to evacuate. They already do. We already have that system in place. Oh, really? Yeah, CTA, Coast Transit Authority, actually picks up homeless people at various locations on the coast mm -hmm. in the hours before a hurricane, once an evacuation has been ordered, and actually takes them to hurricane shelters and then takes them back to where they were after it. So that vehicle is already in place to take care of the homeless during times of disaster. Yeah, I didn't know that, but that certainly makes sense. I mean, it's not like hurricanes, you know, have not always been a thing, you know. And the same thing happens during bitterly cold weather. They will go out, CTA will go out and bus people to the cold weather shelters so they don't freeze to death when it reaches 20 degrees outside like it has a couple times this year. So that system is in place, and it's a good system. It works, and it keeps people safe. And despite the fact that they are homeless, they are still human, and they're still citizens, and we have a duty to make sure that they stay safe. So how do you convince a Republican that that's something they should they should want for their city? Three words. Right and wrong. Right and wrong. Taking care of the least among us is right. Ignoring them is wrong. I'm a pretty simple guy. I believe in right and wrong. I don't think you convince Republicans or convince Democrats. You look at right and wrong. Shoving these people to the sideline, ignoring them, ignoring their pain, ignoring their suffering is wrong. Doing something about it is right. And that's not a Democratic or Republican issue. It's mm -hmm. a right and wrong issue. And that's how I feel about it. I feel very strongly about that. And again, I do stress there's nothing you can do about the people who choose to remain homeless. That's their choice, and there's nothing you can do. But for the people who need help, the mentally disabled, drug addicts, people addicted to alcohol, people who want help, we as a citizen should do something because it's the right thing to do. Well said. Well said, for sure. So is there a position that you have as a Republican that doesn't follow party lines other than like this? This might be one, you know, but um, do you do you have another another position that some might say, oh, well, that's not really a Republican kind of philosophy? I'm more of an independent thinker. Mm -hmm. I'm Republican in the fact that I think we pay way too much in taxes. Mm -hmm. And that's truly a Republican issue. I think tax cuts are a great thing. I think people don't understand just how much they pay in taxes. Mm -hmm. They think of taxes mm -hmm. as, okay, I pay the federal government and I pay the state government and those are my taxes. Yeah, you pay the federal government, you pay the state government. In many locales, you pay the local government, you pay a social security tax, you pay a Medicare tax, you pay a sales tax, you pay a property tax, 
you pay an excise tax when you buy tires. If you looked at your paycheck and added up all the taxes you pay, not just those that are listed on your paycheck, but the sales taxes and the county taxes and the city taxes and the state taxes, I would venture to guess that at least 50% of everything you make goes to pay taxes. And that's way too much. I do not disagree. And, and the ones that are kind of low, low-hanging fruit for me that uh, people don't really pay much attention to are property taxes because they're often hidden within your mortgage payment. Um, the other ones are sort of like road taxes. Road taxes are primarily uh, taxed uh, on, the, on the barrel of oil, you know, that you pay. And I'll be honest with you, I think, I think that's going to, we're going to see probably within, within the next five to 10 years, we're going to see some sort of uh, tax that's applied when you do your income taxes based on, on your use of the roads. Because as vehicles become more more efficient, the cost to use those ro- roads is going to drop, and so the same money that would otherwise be used to maintain those roads is not going to be there. It's already happened. Yeah, it's already happened. You don't have to look ten years in the future. It's happening right now in Mississippi. There is a hybrid car tax that you have to pay every year. Yeah. So if you own a Prius or any of the other hybrids, you're paying an extra amount of money on that car every year to the state reason why because the state in their non-wisdom says well you're not buying as much gas as the regular person is so you're not paying as much in gas taxes so we're going to make up that revenue by charging you an additional fee on your hybrid car they're not thinking about the big picture like wow it's good for the environment uh, we're using less fossil fuels. No, the only thing they're thinking about is the money grab. And that's what government is all about, a money grab. And it's frankly disconcerting and makes me angry. Mm. Do you, so, so you don't, again, I'm not trying to be funny here, so you don't disagree with, with taxing a hybrid vehicle more? Oh, I strongly disagree with it. I so think it's a terrible idea. How do you reconcile, though, that, that they're using the infrastructure that, um, you know, everybody else uses who doesn't drive a hybrid uh but they're not having to pay to use that as much because again the, that that money comes from the fuel that they buy if they're buying less fuel then they're paying less to drive doesn't have anything to do with the roads it has to do with the gas tax that's the thinking behind this system the owner of a prius is buying half the amount of gas that the owner of a suv is buying every year but the money from the gas part of that tax goes to subsidize the the, the maintenance of the roads yes MDOT, yes yeah yeah but it doesn't matter because again we lose sight of the big picture we're saving money by cleaning up our air mm-hmm. by reducing ozone and usually these cars are small very fuel efficient and small they don't put the beating on a road that a six-ton suv or big, huge truck does. Sure. I mean, it's just simple physics. A Prius is not going to put the pounding on a road that a F-150 is. Sure, sure. So as, as we move towards, like, say, for example, you've got Elon Musk trying to put out these Tesla semis. I mean, that surely is going to put the same beating on a, on a road as, say, a normal semi would. Um, do you think those should be taxed because they're putting the same beating, using the road more, but they're not paying in, in taxes? I'll defer that question because I'll simply answer it by saying I'll believe that when I see it. <laughs> Fair enough, and, and, and there's Musk, a lot of criticism ab- about uh, that. Yeah, yeah let's yeah. you know let let's see a 
hybrid <laughs> oh, 18 wheeler. Fully electric, I think it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, a fully yeah. electric 18 wheeler. Yeah. I want to see that. And, and when that actually happens in the next 200 years, <laughs> then we'll address that topic. Right, right. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had the opinion for, for years that, that maybe we should consider or at least investigate the idea of charging general aviation pilots when they use um, air traffic control services because they don't pay for that. Largely, ATC is on the back of obviously government money, but commercial airlines, when, when you fly commercial, you're essentially paying to fund the national airspace system. But some guy that gets in a plane and just wants to go catch a burger somewhere that's talking air traffic control, it's kind of, he, he pays a hangar fee and fuel fee and that's about it. And so he's benefiting from all this major infrastructure, right? The radar systems, the satellite systems, this, the salary of 14,500 air traffic controllers in the country. And so it's like, well, you're getting to use this for free and that's great. That's great for you, but um, other people have to pay for that. You know what I mean? And 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 so that's that's why I see that correlation. Like like maybe there's something there. But well, let me give you an example. Then. Sure. Let's say a family of five goes out on a boat. Okay. Out in the Mississippi Sound. Sure. That boat capsizes. Okay. What happens? The Coast Guard sends out two or three boats. They send out a chopper. Yeah. They spend thousands of dollars locating, finding, rescuing, and transporting that family back to safe dry land. Sure. Does that family get a bill? No. No, they don't. It's part of what government does. The first and foremost reason that government exists is for the protection of its citizens. That's the number one priority. Right, Everything right. else mm -hmm. is lanyap. Protect your citizens. I think someone who jumps in a plane, whether it's to go get a burger or visit someone across state, needs to be protected and kept safe by the ATC, the Air Traffic Control System. I think that's part of government's responsibility. Just as I think it's part of government's responsibility to rescue that family of five when their boat capsizes. Interesting. So there. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that. I'd say, um, <laughs> you know, bringing it back to roads then. So we allow people. What's this with you and roads? I, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I, I have no idea. But, but for some reason. You're I like hung up on roads I, here today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, let, let's, let's bring it back a little more local. <laughs> uh, solving, staying on roads for a moment. What are you like uh, addicted to asphalt? Uh, <laughs> Interestingly enough, uh, do you know what Monster Energy drinks do to asphalt? I have no idea. Okay, so this is from me working at Mr. B's down in Ocean Springs years ago when I was in high school, and, and, and I had a case of Monster that I dropped because uh, I was filling up the uh, vending machine. And uh, after a amount of time, it kind of pulled in one area because there was a low-lying spot in the asphalt. Uh, it returns it back to like a gelatin state. So and we're, and we're drinking this and, stuff? And, and you're drinking that. How crazy is that? <laughs> well, no, here's what's even more crazy. How did we get onto <laughs> monster drinks melting Doug, asphalt? Doug, this is my show. It's going to go where I want it to go. Okay. <laughs> Roads, Roads melting asphalt. Well, yeah. Look, it, I, this we is got there easy. This is politics Brian <laughs> Belford style, okay? Oh, that's so funny. Uh, so... How do we? How can we solve the, the the traffic problems that are that are in Ocean Springs? Personally, I wish it was all European. We had nothing but roundabouts, but that's that that's not realistic. Well, roundabouts are an interesting concept. They're used a lot in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a resistance in America to roundabouts, but here is the advantage of a roundabout. 
and I've done a little research on them because where I visit my daughter in Indianapolis, they've got a lot yeah. of roundabouts up in Indianapolis. They don't reduce the number of crashes. What they do do is reduce the severity of those crashes. So you have a four-way stop. Someone runs it. They're going 35 or 40 miles an hour, and they slam into somebody. The injuries can be traumatic. The damage can be traumatic. What roundabouts do is slow that traffic down to about 20 miles an hour. So when there are accidents, and there are just as many accidents with roundabouts, they're less severe, less injuries, less damage to the vehicles. It's more of a fender bender type thing. Sure. So that's a good thing. I mean, it gets down to safety, but they are uncomfortable for some, and it takes some getting used to. I mean, the first time I went through a roundabout, I went what am I, in Spain? Yeah. This is weird. And then they can have multi, you know, like you, you can switch lanes in a roundabout. You know, that's a, that's a foreign concept to people. Oh, yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. It takes some getting used to, but mm. I think that's eventually going to be part of the answer. But I've said this, and I explained this on the show the first time I appeared with you, uh, my idea about Highway 90 traffic. I think spending 15 to $20 million widening Highway 90 by MDOT, which is in control of Highway 90, is not a good idea. because And there are several reasons for that. Number one, you're just funneling the problem further to the east. Because three lanes is eventually going to go back down into two. So whereas you have a traffic jam right now at the Ocean Springs Hospital, that traffic jam's just going to be four miles further to the east, down past the Walmart, where it goes back into two lanes. Number two... They say, well, we're going to use the median to do the lane widening. We're not going to take uh, land on either side of the road. We're going to use the median. So there goes the median. There goes that green space. That's gone. But one thing they don't address, there are literally two to 250 streetlights in the median from the time you get off the bridge all the way down well past the Walmart. Where are those lights going to go? They can't go in the medium because that's going to be asphalt. That's going to be part of the widening project. They're going to go on the side of the road onto private property, which leads to the bigger question. People are want to be compensated for the use of their property to put up street lights. And people who aren't happy with the, com uh, with the compensation, they're going to take it to court. Then you go into eminent domain proceedings and more lawyer's fees and more cost and more expense. The answer, in my view, is to take that 40-year-old, antiquated, non-functioning traffic light system that we have in the heart of Ocean Springs all the way down Highway 90 and replace it with an ultra-modern system that uses cameras and sensor strips. That way you don't have the problem of a car turning left when that car actually doesn't exist. Yeah. You're stopping hundreds of cars heading eastbound and westbound on Highway 90 for a left turn arrow where there's no car turning left. That problem will be eradicated with the installation of a modern traffic light system. Yeah, and the, if you want to see the problem worse than Ocean Springs, it's East Biloxi near near the uh, Harris Casinos. And those first three intersections are just god-awful about that. Right, and not only that, but... Look at the cost savings to the taxpayers. Yeah. And I think we need to always take a look at how we spend tax dollars. Why should we spend 
15 to 20 million dollars on a project that is going to disrupt motorists and businesses for years years uh, years not yeah. not months years mm-hmm. when we could spend probably 2 or 3 million dollars putting up a new modern traffic light system much less cost and much less disruption yeah and i i think I think states in the South are plagued by by this idea to drive large highways uh, through a city with uh, like these large arterial highways, and there's no sort of parallel road on the side where people can get off on an on ramp like like out west and in Dallas and whatnot. And then all the businesses are not a direct turn off of ninety, but you can slow down. You have this sort of auxiliary road because that's 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 to me part of the problem is is it was. It was doomed at its inception because you just had these large arterial roads and everyone had to turn off of them in order to go uh, to a business or what have you. I think that's a great idea. And these are service roads. Yeah. And a lot of cities use service roads to take the traffic off the main artery. Yeah. I think that's something that we should explore, building a service road. The only problem with that is that service road is going to have to go on to private property. Exactly. Yeah. So then yeah. you have the eminent domain and acquisition of land problems sure. that you're going to have. But it's certainly something to look at. But I think what we need to do as a city, as a board of aldermen, we kind of throw up our hands and say, well, Front Beach, that's the county's problem. That's that's their issue. That's They're in charge of Front Beach. Highway 90, that's... MDOT. They're in charge of Highway 90. There's nothing we can do. I disagree. I think there is something we can do. I think if we speak as a cooperative board of aldermen with one voice, we can make our feelings and our desires known and at least appreciated. And I don't think we do that enough. The county owns and maintains Front Beach. And they're ramrodding a project right now down the throats of the people of Ocean Springs that's ugly and probably is not going to be very effective and probably will be eventually destroyed in a, in a hurricane. Front Beach looks, looks like garbage right now. We, as eight elected officials, and we have eight, you have six aldermen, you have an alderman at large, and you have a mayor. That's eight people who were duly elected by the citizens of Ocean Springs. And if we sit there as a board with one collective voice and say, Jackson County, we don't want this. Don't do it. And if it takes a lawsuit, so be it. We can't have the county dictating without any kind of compromise or without listening to us at all what's going on in Front Beach. It's the Ocean Springs Front Beach. The county may own it, the county maintain it, but it's the Ocean Springs Front Beach, and we as a city should have some kind of say over what goes there, how it looks, and how effective it's going to be. So do you want to kind of go into detail about what, what, what the project is for, for people who don't know? Well, it's a swale project, and engineers, who I have no idea who they are, and I've never seen an engineering report, are putting in these swales that will supposedly drain the rainwater in heavy events and also in tidal events uh, from the beach and therefore stop the erosion. But you remember the old margarine ad? It's not nice to fool with Mother Nature. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was parquet. I I, I can't remember, but it's not nice to fool with Mother Nature. And that's what we're doing. Mother Nature 
always wins. The other thing is, and I'm not an engineer, but I have a lot of common sense. It's very difficult to pour concrete onto sand and have it last. Now, the front beach sidewalk that came along after Katrina, good idea. But within just a few months, within a year, a lot of it was cracking and falling in because you can't pour concrete onto sand. It's going to sink. It's going to crack. It's going to disintegrate. It's just the way it is. It's basically physics. The other thing is when you get a 15 to 20-foot tidal surge, concrete is no match for the power of water. When you have a 15 to 20-foot storm surge, such as we had in Katrina, nothing is left. That's why you had all these homes, some of them built from concrete, some of them built from stucco. Apartment complexes. Left out of brick, left as nothing except slabs. Water will not be stopped. And this project will be destroyed eventually by a big storm. I'm kidding when I say this, but to the credit of concrete, that's the slab. (laughs) I'm leaving now. I'm leaving now. Asphalt being melted by monsters. A guy who's hung up on roads. And now this. It's been a good show, though. It's been a good show. uh, So, yeah, that's, that's certainly... All that makes sense to me, and and I would be hard pressed for somebody to say that doesn't make sense, and that's why, you know, there's a push to have a sidewalk on East Beach as well, and 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 so the city has eminent domain to move it on the side where the property is, and obviously nobody wants that, you know, um, but the only other option is to put it on the other side of that seawall. But again, it's the same problem with concrete, you know what I mean? So how like is is there a way to fix that problem? Yes, there is. You basically tie it to the seawall which is a very sturdy structure and has remained there because it's not tall, it's not obtrusive, it's just a simple seawall. And what you do is you tie it to the seawall at a very, very gradual grade, like a little slant, so the water doesn't pound up against it, it slides up Mm. when there is a high tide event. And so that gives a safety to the residents. Now, I've had some people on East Beach talk to me about this and say, well, we don't want a sidewalk, do you think we should have a sidewalk? And my answer is, yes, we should. The reason why? Go back to the original point I made in the show. The purpose, number one purpose of government is the safety of its citizens, the protection of its citizens. And those citizens who walk on East Beach are now exposed to dangerous conditions with cars. Now, do we need to make East Beach look like Front Beach? No way. Mm -mm. I understand how those East Beach homeowners feel. You, we cannot change the character of that neighborhood. We can simply put up a small, five-foot-wide, slightly slanted, tied-to-the-seawall sidewalk on the beach side to get these people off the street and walking. The other argument I've heard is that, well, that's going to lead to more and more people coming down to East Beach. I don't think so. I mean, people who use East Beach have been using it for years. Mm -hmm. And none of the homeowners have ever said anything about people not using the beach. I think the issue that follows that is parking. I don't think we need any. Mm -hmm. Why build parking? People have gotten to East Beach for 20 years. They're parking somewhere or walking to East Beach as part of their walk. We don't need to build parking lots. We don't need to build pavilions. We don't need to build restrooms. We don't need to build any other structures on the owner's property. 
or on that section to the other side of the road where the seawall is. That destroys the character of that neighborhood. And it's uncalled for, it's unnecessary, and it has nothing to do with safety. It has to do with aesthetics and trying to make things different, trying to make things pretty. It's not government's job. Government's job is to keep people safe. Building a small sidewalk on the seawall on the beach side will keep those walkers safe. I've, I've, I've had a conversation with, with an individual who suggested that part of the problem with the erosion is we have the wrong sand. And it was an interesting conversation. He said that uh, there's, there's actually a sand made from quartz, ground up quartz, and it doesn't float. And so when the tides come in and when the, uh, you know, when the storm surge comes in, it won't pull that sand back out. No, what it's going to do is push it up over the road. And that's going to be a problem right there. The answer is really simple. And if you look at East Beach, you'll see the answer. And I've dealt with this extensively on my Facebook page, and I've addressed it at forums. What we need to do is plant marsh and saltwater grasses on the waterfront, right on the edge of the water along Front Beach, similar to what you see on East Beach. Now, there's an area of each beach, each, uh, East Beach right around Weeks Bayou where there is erosion problems because there's no marsh grass there. But you get past Weeks Bayou by about 100, 200 yards, mm -hmm. it's all marsh grass. You don't see erosion at all. That land has been there. That beach has been there forever. Right. Hardly any erosion. If we did the same thing on Front Beach, we would stop erosion in its tracks. It would literally stop. Now, you'd probably have to replenish that beach every 10, 15 years, but not every six months like it's doing now. Now, I've heard the argument, well, that destroys the beauty of the beach. The beauty of that beach has already been destroyed with this concrete monstrosity they're building right now with it's the swale. point. But what you do is you plant these marsh and saltwater grasses on the water's edge, and then you cut five-foot swaths every 100 feet or so. So people using Front Beach have access, ingress and egress, to the water and back out the water. The areas where the marsh grass is are off-limits. And this works. The same concept takes place in Orange Beach and on Perdido Key, where they have the dunes and the beach grasses, and then they have cutaways every three or 400 yards where people walk over the boardwalks and get down to the water, down to the beach. They're not allowed to walk on the dunes. They're not allowed to walk on the beach grasses. They are prohibited from doing that. And that concept will work here. We'll stop beach erosion. We won't have to spend so much money replenishing it, and it will still be aesthetically pleasing. It will look more natural. It'll look like a natural beach, not what we're building right now. Is is there a concern for marsh dwelling animals or insects that, that might cause a harm to harm to people around them? No, they stay where they're welcome. Mm -hmm. uh, they stay in the marsh grasses and that's where they are. So if you're not allowed to walk on the marsh grasses, you're not going to be walking on any bugs or reptiles or anything like that. If you walk on the pathway, you're going to be fine. Okay, interesting, interesting. How do I know that? I'm a reptile expert in my other life. No. Oh, really? Is that a thing? No, no. It's kind of like, uh, kind of like monster drink and melting asphalt. <laughs> well, so uh, my dad uh, had a thing for reptiles as well. We had, I think, at one point, four snakes in the house, uh, an iguana, and a basilisk lizard. They're the ones that run on water, have the very beautiful rainbow fin that goes down their back. And then um, a molly uramastix. Have you ever heard of this thing? No. No. 
Sorry, I won't get too too deep into this. I'll just describe this, but it's a yellow and black Egyptian lizard, and it's got a spiked club as a tail. It's really wicked looking. But. Like a stegosaurus. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. Only that has spikes, not yeah. a club. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the dinosaur that actually had the club on its tail. It's it's now it's going to drive me crazy. Right, right. First thing I'm going to do when we get here is get on Google. Yeah. <laughs> Ankylosaurus, maybe Ankylosaurus. That may have been it. Maybe, maybe. I was thinking like something that started with like pro, like pro taca something. Why are know. we talking about this? I've, I have no idea. Look, <laughs> look. You know, we you, know what, you know what I know the worst pet is? What's that? A ferret. A ferret. Okay. Yeah. You ever had a ferret? My daughter did. Okay. So you had a ferret. Uh, yeah, I had a ferret. <laughs> worst pet ever. Okay. What was so bad about it? It's a ferret. It's a ferret. That will, yeah, you can start Look there. at the name, okay? The yeah. name itself is bad enough. Ferret. <laughs> What's the weirdest animal that you've ever had? Is it a ferret? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty simple. You know, dog, cat. Yeah. That's about go. it. Ferret. My daughter had a ferret. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's why they called Frank Burns ferret face on MASH, okay? okay. That's how bad that thing is, okay? <laughs> well, I want I want to ask you, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, you know, have would-be voters uh, pick a side. I want to ask you if you're a cat or dog person, but, uh, you know, so. <laughs> uh, I will be more than happy to answer that. <laughs> I am a dog person beyond any scope of the doubt. My wife, Lila, we've been married in about a month 44 years now wow congrats she is a cat person um we have a cat named zoe i have two dogs named holly and leo they are catahoulas but the cat's name is zoe i've given her the nickname of satan because it's a bit aggressive but okay <laughs> she's psycho okay she's psycho it was actually a sign in my house that said psycho kitty lives here and i'm yeah. not kidding you yeah uh this is a cat that will be literally on your lap purring contentedly and two seconds later will bite you so i don't hold the cat <laughs> my wife does but that's her thing do you know what the what what animal has um has the most types of prey in the world like it's the you know the what's the phrase i forget the phrase but um basically the most deadly animal on on earth in terms of like has the most types of prey the fire ant the domestic house cat they kill they're responsible for a billion billion birds a year killing birds a billion with the b and zoe is half of that total yeah yeah <laughs> Half of that, but they're they're just, I'm I'm personally a cat person, but they're just absolutely incredible animals. But Doug, so getting back to it, what what else do you want to talk about while we're here? I want to talk about a criticism, not really a criticism, but an observation that some people have had about me. Okay, about I seem to come off sometimes as angry. Okay, I'm giving you the oh, opportunity. Oh, oh, Doug, you come, you are. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say angry. You are somebody who is informed. Uh, you are well spoken, and you are direct. Even even in this conversation, you there's no filler words. You answer a question, and then when you're done, you stop and wait for me to respond. And I don't I don't have a problem with it. That's 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 not a threat to me. But it's formidable. I can see how it's formidable to other people who aren't as articulated as a man who spent almost half a century giving the news to people. I'm not angry. No, First, I don't think you. Are. I I am, and I've told this. I've addressed this. On my 
campaign Facebook page. I'm not angry. I'm serious. I spent 40-plus years as a broadcast journalist and covered many serious things. Uh, on the scene of countless tragedies, covered presidential elections, uncovered government correction, uh, corruption, and held people in power accountable for misdeeds, and have reported on issues that affect people's lives, like mm -hmm. hurricanes and storms and floods and oil spills. Serious all, things. All, all this is serious business. And so one person actually told me one time, well, you never smiled when you were on TV. And my answer was, my job was not to smile. Yeah. My job was to tell people what was going on in their community, which I did. But I also can smile, as I think I've demonstrated here. In fact, I'm, I'm going to do this right now. There's the camera right there, okay? Yeah. Now watch this. This is serious, Doug. This is smiling, Doug. <laughs> I, I actually... I actually have a sense of humor. I, I really do. And I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty funny guy sometimes. Yeah, but looks aren't everything, Doug. But uh, <laughs> in my case, looks are hardly anything at all. Looks are nothing. But, uh, yeah, I like to have fun, and I'm a nice guy. And uh, I have a lot of friends. Uh, I am serious. That's my nature. Uh, but I'm not angry, angry at anything, uh, except when I see things happening that don't make sense. And I question why they have happened. Sometimes I do become angry at what we've done as a city on some of the decisions that have been made. Because if you don't get angry, you're not moved to change anything. You've got to have some kind of passion inside of you. Some kind of small anger to want to do what I've done, which is run for public office. It's yeah. a tough job. And it's a tough endeavor. Let me tell you, it's hard to do and it's hard to take the shots that are shot your way but i feel passionate about what i'm doing and about what i'm talking about and i want to see this city succeed i want to see us change i want to see us do better and that's a serious business running or helping to run a city with a 20 plus million dollar budget is serious business it's not a laughing matter it's not a time for jovality it's not a time for frivolity it's a time to get serious and make the right decisions and lead this city forward and so if I'm elected, I promise I will take that responsibility very seriously. And I have no doubt about that. And, and I don't, again, if, if, if that's a criticism of, of you, I think it's baseless, honestly. And, and, it's, and it's, it comes from a distance, and people don't want to close that distance to find out who you are. And, and truly, I think that's the actual value of this podcast. You're going to get your message out regardless. But people need to understand that you're more than these bullet points. And, 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 and you certainly are. And I've had nothing but a positive interaction with you. We've joked around. We've talked on the phone and joked as well. Um, but you're, you're just you're taking it serious. And, and I don't think that that's a negative criticism. And I'll also say one last thing. Anger is a positive emotional response. A psychologist will tell you that. The idea associating with anger that's that's uh met with uh anarchy that's the anger that most people know but anger is a positive emotional response because it's you recognizing that what ought to happen is not happening and your and your emotional response is i need to do something about this yeah you have to have emotional ties and the reason you know that is because you spent the late night last night at the holiday Inn express that's right that's right i'm not exactly You're not a psychologist but not at all not at all <laughs> no, I, I think you're dead on. You're you're absolutely right. You've got to have some kind of passion. You've got to have some kind of feeling inside. You can't be a vessel, an empty vessel, and run for public office and try to evoke change without having some emotional tie to it. Yeah. 
I, I certainly agree. Well, Doug, I, I, I hate, um, I hate that that's been a criticism of, 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 of yours because it's, it's completely inaccurate. Well, I don't know if it's a criticism or an observation. I just wanted to, Fair cl- enough. I just wanted Fair to enough. clear up the air that uh, I, I'm not an angry man at all. I'm a serious man. Uh, but I also like to joke. I like to smile. I like to have fun. Uh, one of the most relaxing things I enjoy in my life is to head down to Horn Island and spend a day on the beach and swim and fish mm-hmm. and uh, cook out a couple of burgers. Uh, I find that very relaxing, and I have fun doing that. And, yes, most of the time when I'm on Horn Island, I'm smiling. I just want everybody to know that. Okay, but I'm but, smiling. But you probably do take that time very seriously, you know, uh, you know, because you you want to do that to relax. So, what is the negative aspect of taking something seriously? I, I just I don't get it. I can never. <laughs> I can promise you, I've never scowled on Horn Island when I'm, I've never gone this. This island, just I'm having so much fun. This island just bugs me. Oh. But uh, so, the other thing I'd like to say is I wish. This forum is so valuable. I wish others had taken advantage of this forum. I think that people who have run against me and are running against me don't feel comfortable in this environment, don't feel comfortable in the public spotlight. And if that's the case, then why? Why are you running for public office? Mm-hmm. Because when you do that, you are in the public spotlight catapulted yes and there's no if ands or buts about that i would love to see someone appear on here my opponent and talk about his vision articulate his passion but that's not going to happen and i understand that it's the nature of the beast but this is such a valuable forum for anyone not just my opponent but anyone and that's why I credit you for giving all these candidates an opportunity. Not everyone took advantage of it. Not everyone went on your show. Uh, some chose not to. But it was an invaluable service for you to make this time available for all the candidates, whether they accept it or not, to espouse their views and talk about their passion, talk about their plan, talk about their platform, and talk about what they want to achieve. Yeah, and... It- and I've always taken that into account and I've done my best to try and make this as comfortable as I can for everybody. And again, right back to what I said originally is like, this is your show and I have no problem not airing the show. You know what I mean? So, um, but, but I do agree there, uh, there are candidates who, who did not take advantage of it. I don't know if it hurt them or helped them. It doesn't really matter. Uh, to me, honestly, it was a, it was a service to the citizens. I think anytime you can get your message out, in a nice way, is a good thing. Yeah. And for people not to take advantage of this, I think, was a unwise decision. But that's a decision they chose to make, and uh, there's nothing we can do about that. Uh, as far as, like, editing this show and cutting out, the only thing I want you to do at the end, okay, before this ever gets posted, take out the monster drink melting the asphalt part. Uh, I'm going to make an executive decision on that, Doug, okay? I, I, I think the answer to that is no. You're going to keep that in and the incessant <laughs> questioning about roads. It's like I'm oh, we just have a discussion. I, for, for some reason, I just I, I, I happen to have a perspective on that. And I am sitting here going, is this guy ever going to stop talking about roads? <laughs> we got past it. We, we moved on. Yeah, uh, because I got up and left. <laughs> no more roads. 
<laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Doug, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to chat about? I just want to get a message out to the voters of Ward 3 and the city of Ocean Springs. These are critical times. These are very critical times. And your vote on April the 27th is critical. You will not only choose a Ward 3 alderman, but you'll be choosing the next mayor of this city. This is the only ward where there's an actual runoff between the opponent and myself. And I would just ask the voters to take a look at each of our records. Take a look at our qualifications. Take a look at what we bring to the table. And I think I'm the most qualified of the two candidates. And that's not being braggadocio. It means how I truly feel. If I didn't feel I was qualified to run for office, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, why would you? I feel like I'm the most qualified candidate. I feel I've articulated my vision better than any of the other candidates. I feel I have a plan. I feel I have a program. I feel I have the wherewithal to question authority. We've had way too many 7-0 votes on the Board of Aldermen over the last several years. Mm. No discussion, no nothing. Just everybody voting the same way all the time. Robust debate, in my view, is a good thing. Sitting there silent, never saying anything, is not mm -hmm. a good thing. And I can promise, if I'm elected as the Ward 3 Alderman, I will speak my voice. I will speak my mind. I will offer thoughts and suggestions, and I will question, at times, bad decisions. I promise that. I'm not going to just sit there and get along to go along. I'm not built that way. That's not in my DNA, and that's one thing I think I can bring to the table. The other thing I would suggest people do who live in Ward 3, or indeed the entire city, take a look at the forum that was hosted by the Ocean Springs Chamber of Commerce. Right, at the Roost, right? Uh, no, oh, that no, was the no, mayor. Right, this was, was the one at the Civic Center. Civic Center, that's right. That's right. It was held on March the 11th. <clears throat> Go and take a look at that form, and if you want to just scroll down to the Ward 3 portion of it to compare myself with my opponent, do that. It comes in at about 57, 55 minutes into the program. The bottom line is the Ocean Springs Chamber of Commerce hosted this event at the Civic Center, a very fine event, and they did a great job of pulling it off and making sure everyone stayed socially distanced and was safe. But... Just go on your Facebook page and in the search bar, type in Jack or not Jackson County, but Ocean Springs Chamber of Commerce. Go to the Ocean Springs Chamber Facebook page and scroll down, scroll down, scroll down till you see March the 11th. You'll see the form. Click on the form, have it start playing, take that timeline bar and scroll it to about 55, 56 minutes, and you'll see the Ward 3 portion of that form. Take a look at that. Take a look at myself. Take a look at my opponent. You can see the contrasting styles, you can see the contrasting differences, and you can see what he believes is important and what I believe is important. And I think that's a good thing for people to do just before the election because it was a great public service offered by the chamber. Mm -hmm. I appreciated the opportunity, and I was glad I was there. Yeah, well, I agree. I'll also see if it's on YouTube. It might be e easier to find on, on YouTube, and if not, maybe I can get the video download it and post it maybe to my youtube channel if if the if the chamber of commerce allows me to obviously just to make it easier you know what i mean um but yeah doug again 
I wish you the best of luck. I always have a great time talking to you. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy that you're running. And uh, again, I think, I think the residents of, of, of Ward 3 benefit from, from you being on the ticket. Well, I'm glad you are happy that I'm running. I know that Lila probably isn't, <laughs> my wife. Uh, she's looked at me like 10 times in the last month going, are you crazy? No, you, you almost have to be to go through all this, you know. <laughs> it's been an enlightening experience, let me tell you this. Um, it's been different. It's been fun. It's been problematic. It's been frustrating. It runs the gamut of your emotions running for office. I've been upset. I've been joyous. I've been happy. I've been sad. I've been frustrated. But all in all, I'd say the experience has bettered me as a person, Win, lose, or draw. I'm, I'm a better person for having done this. I have a better understanding of what people want in their lives. I have a better understanding of what this city needs. I have a better understanding of how people look up for answers and help with their problems in times of need. And the other thing I want to say is, and I want people to understand this because it's absolutely true, and I've said this on the campaign trail to everyone who would listen, this is a one-shot deal with me. I'm running one time. That's it. A lot of people, a lot of politicians, and you don't have to look far. You can look right here in the heart of Ocean Springs. A lot of people keep running for office time and time and time again. I guess they have to have some feeling of self-importance or self-worth. I don't know what. If I'm successful, and I hope I am, I will do the very best I can as an alderman. If I'm not successful and I do not win, that's it. I'm done. It's over. I go back to my quiet, semi-retired life. I work for a wonderful nonprofit part-time. I will continue to do that, and I'll continue to be happy. And I will not run for office again. This is a one-shot deal. The other promise I've made, the other thing I've told people is, if I win, I will run for re-election one time. That's it. Two terms. I'm gone. That's a promise. There are two reasons why. First is, and foremost, most important, Lila would probably kill me if I ran for a third term. So we're pretty, uh, pretty decided on that. <coughs> Excuse me. But in all seriousness, I have said during this campaign for eight months now, we need new ideas. We need fresh perspectives. We need new vision. And if I stay on that board for more than eight years, then I become the problem I'm talking about. I become that problem. A lack of new leadership, a lack of new faces, a lack of new perspectives, a lack of new vision. I become that problem. And I don't want to become that problem. So eight years, I'm out. I've also heard, again, because I've had the opportunity to talk to most people running, the incumbents... All of them say, like, man, it takes you at least half your first term to even get your feet wet. Some of them say an entire first term. So, I certainly think you, you're you're probably most productive in in your in the second set of, of four years. But what I do want to say to you is is that um, I know you've said this is a one time thing. <laughs> I'll accept it when I see it. I don't think somebody of your caliber of passion can sit idly by and 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 make. Uh, make the case that you're not going to be so passionate about something again and, and, and run. Uh, but, but, but we'll see. And I do think 
you four words for you. You'll probably take it to the bank. That's fine. <laughs> take it to the bank. Five words. No, I'm serious. One okay. time. Okay. One time. Now I may become that gadfly that's famous in every city. <laughs> the one who shows up to every council meeting, every alderman meeting, sure. and just sits there and yaks and yaks and yaks <laughs> and complains and complains and complains. That may be in my future. Okay. Mr. Gadfly. Uh, but uh, no, I'm, I'm real serious about that. Uh, the people will speak on April the 27th, and whatever happens, I'll accept their will. I believe strongly that I am the most qualified candidate. I believe strongly that I can do the best job, but I believe something even more strongly, and that is the, the wisdom and the guidance of the voters. And whatever they choose, I will accept with grace and move on with my lives because the voters have the final say. The voters are the most important people in any election, and whatever they choose, I will abide by. Well put. Well put, Doug. <coughs> well, again, Doug, I've had a great time talking to you. I wish you the best of luck, and uh, we'll... Uh We'll get out of here. Well, Brian, again, thanks for uh, having me on. Thanks for this opportunity. And the last thing I want to do before I leave, before I walk out the set. <laughs> See? I'm smiling. I'm not angry. See? Big smile. Big smile. Here, here. Angry Doug. Happy Doug. Anyway. <laughs> All right, everybody. Appreciate it. See y'all. Yeah. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I certainly did. And if you want to follow uh, more and hear more, you can check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, everything. You can also follow us on social media. I've got a YouTube channel, so search for Shop and Chivalry subscribe there. We also have Instagram, just look for Shop and Chivalry, Twitter at Shop and Chivalry, and Facebook.com slash Shop and Chivalry. You can also shoot us an email at administration at Shop and Chivalry if you'd like to be on the show or suggest somebody or give more direct feedback. You can also find that link on our website, shopandchivalry.com, where I have all of my ramblings about the show, what the show means to me, that, that particular episode. I've got a blog, other media on there as well, as well as embedded players. So you can play the shows and the videos for those that, that have video as well. So uh, again, thank you for all the love. I appreciate all the feedback. It's been wonderful. I'm having a great time. And uh, yeah, much love. All right. See ya. <laughs>